And like any other phone call, whether it be you or I, we kind of all have part and comments that we make when we hang up the phone or when we leave somebody, someone. And I tend to say to my brother-in-law, tell the rest of the family I said hello. And my brother-in-law always responds in his Vermonter way, tell your better half I said hello. My better half is my wife, of course. And as I mentioned, that most of us have customary parting words or comments that we make when leaving the company of someone. Maybe yours is, I'll see you next week, Lord willing, and the creek doesn't rise. And then there are other people that have these send-offs like, the standard one is bye, of course. But then you have another one where the person says bye twice, bye-bye. That's kind of a childish, sweet, babyish way of saying so long. And so long is another way of ending a time together with someone. See you later, or uh, take it easy, or I'm out of here, uh, I'm off, or uh, have a nice day, or peace out, whatever your final greeting is. Well, it's a way of connecting with the individual's world that uh, we're leaving as well when we include others in our, in our formal departure. Well, as we arrive here at the end of the letter today of the letter to the, the Philippian church in Philippi, we find Paul coming to an interesting place where he is sending off and he is saying his goodbyes with the same kind of heartfelt care that you may demonstrate or you may use in interacting with someone, especially one of your children or maybe a brother or sister. I love you. We'll talk with you later. But today we find Paul closing his letter with some, a final greeting. Some can refer to it as a benediction. Benediction time, as you may know, is a time at the end of the service that we may have a closing prayer or a closing thought. Some read scriptures, and they share those scriptures with you. But Paul closes, by the way, his letter with a very practical greeting and ending. So let's read about it, and we're going to turn, if you have your Bibles, and you want to follow along, we'll look at Philippians in the final uh, verses of this book. In chapter 4, verses 20 through 23. Again, his final thoughts are like a doxology. A doxology, by the way, is a liturgical formula of praise to God. And Paul demonstrates that. In verse number 20, he says, To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Now, have you ever said that when you hung up the phone to your sister, brother, mother, father? To God our Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. I suspect not. There's nothing wrong with it. But Paul uses this. And then Paul, rather than saying, tell your better half, I said hello. He says, greet all people in Christ Jesus. The brothers and the sisters who are with me, they also send their greetings. All God's people here send greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you in your spirit. Amen. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen.
Interesting word there, grace. We sing a chorus that's very familiar, amazing grace. Yesterday I spoke at, the, at a, a memorial service for a man who died of COVID. He was a vice president of Abarusi's construction company out of St. Louis. And his, his children, Jody, John, Jay, and Jim, he had a youth group within his own family. They were in my first youth group. And so I spoke at his service, and one of the songs that we did was Amazing Grace. Because when you think of the words of Amazing Grace, it speaks about a journey, a travel through life, and then we come to the time when we've been there, 10,000 years. We will sing of God's grace. Well, what is grace? The standard definition in the Christian world of grace is that grace is the undeserved, unmerited, and loving action of God to us through the Holy Spirit. Let me say that again. Grace is the undeserved, unmerited, and loving action of God to us through the Holy Spirit. So when we speak about grace, the first thing we think of is God's grace is something that's undeserved. The definition of grace says it's undeserved. We don't get grace because we deserve it. We don't receive grace because it's something that we've earned. You've been involved in events or perhaps some type of, of situation where you have a grace period. You order a ticket for an airlines and they'll tell you, you have a grace period. You have 24 hours to cancel this ticket. There's a grace period period. Well, we look at undeserved. We thank God because you and I deserve punishment. You may think you're a cool person and everything's great in your life, but we're born in sin. And that's what we deserve, punishment, but we don't get it. And we don't get what we deserve because of God's grace, his grace, which is unmerited. The definition says that grace is something that we don't buy, we don't earn it, we, uh, nobody can do that. Grace also, as we have learned in the book of Philippians, does not depend on how many good things that you have done or that you haven't done. We still get grace because God loves us. And that's the next part of the definition. It's the loving action of God. The most loving thing that God could do for us is give his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross of Calvary for our sins. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave us his only begotten son, that whoever, whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have what? Everlasting life. That is God's grace and his love to us through his son, Jesus Christ. God did that for you. And he did it for me. Grace is all about what God does, and we get grace from God. The text, or the definition goes on to say, it's through the Holy Spirit. Through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is in the world, and the Holy Spirit is in every believer. And if you have the Holy Spirit and God's activity in your life, you will recognize and you will see that there's more and more of God's grace available. We get more grace through the work of the Holy Spirit. On Thursday, I was in Concord, New Hampshire. 
My wife and I stayed at a hotel on Main Street of Concord. And in that hotel, from the point that we were in, I could see the neighborhoods that I used to run through as a kid. I could see the streets that I would often go down and roam as a teenager. I could see and, and I could remember troubled spots in my life and where various things happened. It was on Thursday morning that I got up early and I told Lil I'm going for a walk. I'm going for a little prayer walk. I took off and I went up the side streets to see some of those old colonial and New England homes that I saw as a kid. Many of them had been remodeled and some of them were just worn and torn and had very little attention. As I walked up to Fayette Street, I headed towards South, the corner of South Street and Pleasant. It was there that I saw the church that I gave my heart to Jesus Christ in as a teenager. It was there that I stood and I reminisced and I prayed and I thanked God for his grace. I thank God for the journey that he has taken me on. It'd be like one of you visiting your elementary school. The thoughts and the teachers and the people that have influenced your life. As I looked at that church, I, 30 feet away, across the side street, there was a big old New England apartment house, steps, that I used to sit on, on Sunday nights. The steps were the steps of one of my friends whose dad was an alcoholic, and he used to drink, and we would sit there. And I would look into those church windows not seeing inside because they were stained glass. But I would hear the songs like Standing on the Promises, Power in the Blood, Marching to Zion. A song or hymn, The Lion of Judah, Victory in Jesus, Mansion over a hilltop, and a shelter in the time of storms. In my, in my heart, there rings a melody. The drunk man would tell me, Charlie, don't ever go into that church. He told me they were holy rollers and many of them took their clothes off and they rolled in the aisles. Well, that perked my interest, you know. There wasn't any spiritual thought, so I started on Sunday nights knocking on the door during these songs. The side door to the sanctuary, I would bang on it. And then I would run about 100 feet, 200 feet up the street and see if anybody came out naked or in their underpants. Well, it never happened. But the thing that did happen were two or three nicely dressed. We didn't have security teams then. Thank God I would have been shot probably. But uh, nicely dressed ushers would chase me up the street a little ways. They never invited me in the place. And, and so off I would run. When I was in high school and returned that year after a summer off, there was an attractive blonde girl that had come in from a neighboring town. And so I wanted to meet her and I was searching and looking for her name. I finally found out who her cousin was. And I said, can you tell me your cousin's name? I can remember we were in the boys' restroom. He said, Charlie, 
He said, I know about you. I don't know you, but I know that you're a scrapper. I know that you cause trouble and you're a fighter, but stay away from my cousin. Okay, well, I was ready to take this guy on, but then he finished his sentence. He says, she's super religious, man. And, and um, you know, that uh, she won't want anything to do with you. I said, you know what, Mark, I can fix that. Just give me her name and her number. Well, I called Bonnie, and we had a nice conversation. She said, yeah, I, I recognize who you are. She said, um, because I see you in school. But she said, um, you know, before I go out with you, I'd like to have you meet my family. Why don't you come to church with me? And I said, well, Bonnie, that would be nice. I'm not much of a churchgoer, but uh, she said, yeah. And I said, well, where do you go to church? She said, I go to church on the corner of South Street and Pleasant Street. Oh, I said, well, okay, tell me I'll be there. Well, that's the church I'd been knocking on the doors. That's the church where I would step, sit on the steps across from it and listen to this music. And I was told, never go in there. But you see, the drip, drip, drip of grace was preparing me. The drip, drip, drip of my Raytheon black and white television set. When I would walk by it and an evangelist was on there, it caught my attention as a teenager. So now I'm thinking as I stand in front of this edifice on Thursday morning and I'm saying, God, thank you for the journey. And I think about you, my church, and how far I've come from that street corner to going into that church with Bonnie, and I think of God's grace. You see, the day that I went to church there, I had no dress clothes, and I had a pair of slacks, but the zipper was broke in them. Now, some of you guys know what that can be like. It's devastating. It's really hard to safety pin your zipper up from the inside. But the good thing was, I thought, if they try to take my clothes off, they're going to have a job with me because I'll be out of that place before they can get these pins undone. I had these thoughts. So I went to church there a few weeks, and it was nothing like I was told. Never saw any rolling. Um, they found out I was a drummer, and they showed some interest in me, but yet some of them thought I was going to pollute the place. Some of them thought, this guy's an outsider. What kind of baggage is he going to bring in? But the drip, drip, drip of grace was taking place in my life. And God was doing a work in my life that I never dreamed about. You know, the unmerited work, the love action of God given his only son. And so as I was reviewing all of this in my mind, and thanking God for the journey that I've been on. I was thinking about grace, the word that Paul uses when he ends his final greeting or his final comments. There's grace that is called prevenient grace. Prevenient grace is God that reaches out to every person that he's created. Prevenient grace is God's never stopping 
to reach you, to reach myself, to reach you who may be viewing today. And for a kind of an illustration, let me try to draw you a picture of provenient grace. Imagine a big bucket of water. The water is grace, and there's lots of it. When I was in college, we would take buckets of water, and we would rig them up so when somebody opened the door of their dorm, they'd get a bath. Some of you kids know that you can go to water parks, and they have these big buckets, and the water's pouring into them. It gets to a certain point. They flip over, and if you're in the right place, you get drenched. Well, just picture a big bucket of water, and the water is grace. And as I say, there's lots of it. How much? It's unlimited. And then imagine a glass that's dirty on the inside. That glass was me. The glass was you. An unbeliever who's stained by sin and has this baggage that many people, as I say, they have a hard time accepting. And now imagine a drop of water into that glass, another drop. Not enough to clean the glass, but enough to awaken me to the point as an unbeliever that there's possibilities in my life. Sitting on the steps, drip, drip, drip. There's possibilities in my life to be like these people who are chasing me, that soon I would be chasing them because of the influence they would have on my life. The influence that the Apostle Paul writes about in Philippians and says, you and I are influencers. You and I are people that can touch this world. And you know what? Sitting in that service, not one of those ushers ever recognized me. That was one of my fears. That's the kid we've been chasing every week. They didn't recognize me. And as I said, now I want to chase them. I'm experiencing something new in my life because of God's grace. I'm experiencing something different, something completely strange. There would be a message in tongues, and I would listen, and I thought, hey, that's the person who owns a pizza restaurant down the street. And I thought that, you know, it was a different language. They were speaking in Greek. But the supernatural power in that, that, that prevenient grace that was taking place. Now next, there's justifying grace. I was invited to go to a youth rally. They called them CA rallies. And um, I, I learned that that wasn't for Charlie Arsenault. It was for Christ ambassadors. And it was quite comical to me because we would all load up in cars and school buses and we would go to these rallies and when we got hungry, the cars in the bus would slow down real slow and look at a restaurant and then they would speed up. And I would ask, what, what, what just happened? Well, there was a beer sign in the window of the restaurant. And so we, we wouldn't associate with that. But in Portsmouth, New Hampshire, there is a youth rally that I go to and Bonnie leans over to me at the end when there was a plead for those that were unrest. She said, Charlie, would you want to go to the front? I'll go with you. And yes, because of the justifying grace, 
because of that dripping in my heart, I came to the point of repentance and I asked Jesus Christ into my life and I asked for forgiveness of sin. And this had been prompted through these incidents that I had experienced even though I wasn't familiar with the prevenient faith, the drip, drip, drip of the Holy Spirit. Now go back to the bucket and the glass. As I continue to draw this picture, imagine the glass is sitting there and it's open to receive from above. Now I want you to picture in your mind the bucket being turned over and flooding that glass. It cleans that glass. The glass is me. It's you. I hate to pay the bills for the water at Starbucks because every time I go in there, there's a faucet that's running. I don't know if that's part of the code, part of the, what they're supposed to do. And I'm thinking, wow, it's like that bucket filling the glass to overflowing. And, and you can picture a big mess when that happens because you do it at home. You'll have a glass and, and you're trying to clean it and, and it's overflowing. And I'm telling you this because grace is messy at this point. In fact, it can be too messy for some church members and attendants to help those who need grace the most. This guy's going to ruin this place. He's going to pollute this place. His mom's been married seven times. Yeah, I know this kid. And finally... I received the work of sanctifying grace. That's easy for me to talk about today at the end of the book of Philippians because Philippians 1.6 says, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. In other words, God is not through with us yet. There's a justifying grace that's taken place. God is not done with us. And that's why we need this outpouring, this continuous outpouring of grace, more than a drip, 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 and less than a big, big mess. And each believer, you and I can continue to walk in grace and we can continue to grow in the, the, the never-ending knowledge of God. As we read about in Philippians, the first chapter, the ninth verse, where we reflect back upon Paul and he says, and this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and in the depth and insight. Now, remember that full clean glass? Well, how does the water in that glass stay fresh and nice? It needs to have this flow of fresh water. And imagine the, the ever, never-ending flow of a fountain that runs and runs and gives water to the glass. You and I. The work of justification. Here in Missouri, I've driven by so many pipes that come out, the, come out of the side of a hill. And the water is running and running and running. And people will pull up with jugs and they'll put them under there because it's a spring of living water that never ceases. And that ongoing flow from the fountain represents to me, or the stream, it represents to me the sanctifying grace. The water is grace and the glass is you and I. And Paul ends his thoughts in verse number 20, to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen.
That's what he closes out with. He's consistent through his writings. He's consistent with whatever books that he has written in the New Testament that God is worthy. God is deserving of our praise. And he points out over and over again that our actions as believers can bring glory to God. And Friday night, there's going to be a time of praise and worship. And that is the whole emphasis. I've told you and suggested to you many times that the world is watching you. And the question is, do we look like the world? Do we act like the world? And if so, we will not bring glory to God. And I guess that you, along with many who sit beside you and myself today, one of those folks who believe that we have to offer an alternative to this world. This world is in trouble. And this world offers us nothing, but we have something to offer. And we have to be so very careful about bringing world stuff in here and allowing it to shape our beliefs and causing us to compromise the gospel. And that won't happen, at least on my watch. I had people that feared that I was one of those individuals. But as I stood at that church that's now been converted to an office building, the steeple has been taken off. But my fingerprints are all over the place because I had the opportunity through God's grace to be part of it. The church is always supposed to be countercultural. I will never disagree with that. And that's why in the early church, when you read the account in Acts, the first chapter in the seventh verse, you'll find out that there was a mob there that was after the Apostle Paul. And they couldn't find him. They couldn't find the Apostle Paul and his followers. And the scripture says in the sixth verse of, um, of chapter 17 of Acts, these who have turned the world upside down have come here too. They're referring to Paul. He's turned the world upside down, but when they did not find them, meaning Paul and some of his associates, they dragged Jason and some other believers before the city officials. And they cried out to the city officials, shouting, the scripture says, these men who have caused trouble all over the world have come now to us. They are here. In verse number 21, Paul sends greetings to the entire church. He says, greet all the God's people in Christ Jesus. The brothers and sisters who are with me, they also send their greetings. All of God's people here send you greetings, especially those that are associated with Caesar's household. That was encouraging for these individuals in Philippi to hear because Caesar's household, some of them had persecuted them. And on, uh, I think about an occasion on a mission trip. And wow, how I miss those trips. You know, we haven't been able to do one for a while. But I was in Mexico and I was speaking to a congregation with an interpreter. And at the beginning and before I got into my message, I brought greetings to that congregation from the church that had sent me, which happened to be you know, the uh, church that uh, I was ministering at and part of the staff. Well, when I greeted them, all of a sudden everybody stood up. And I thought, oh Lord, what, 
what did I do here? And then I thought, this translator's messed up something because uh, these people are standing, and I was like a deer in a headlight. I said to this guy quietly, I said, what's going on here? He said, uh, I'll tell you at the end. So they all sat down, and I moved on. Well, at the end of the service, he told me, he said, what you did in there was probably one of the, one of the greatest things that you could do for this church was to bring greetings from your church. And they were so overwhelmed that they stood, and that was their way of applauding and saying, thank you. And here we have the Apostle Paul saying, I want you to greet these people. Paul says, greet every saint. He wants every Christian in the Philippian church to be greeted, not just some saints. Now, now be careful here. I want you to catch on to this because it's not just a few saints. He doesn't want this generic greeting like I had in Mexico. But Paul wants the believers to know that he's thinking about them and that he loves them. He wanted the overseers as well as the deacons to know. He wanted to greet the slaves and that knew Jesus Christ. He wants to greet the Philippian jailer that he had built a relationship with. No one was to be excluded, uh, excluded in, with Paul's greetings. And all were to be included in this greeting. Now, this is a strong reminder to me that the communion of the saints is inclusive. It includes every single person who has been regenerated by the power of Jesus Christ. The communion of the saints does not include some or most, but it includes all. And you know, we may have our own ideas what a person must look like and what they must act like. But I have to keep reminding myself that God is the one who saves them. Jesus Christ has come into their life. And it's not us. It's not me. The best thing I can do is have a godly influence on an individual as long as that I possibly can. And the church is filled with individuals that have various problems and situations. From those that are living in sin, to those that may be fighting depression, to those that have alcoholism, to those that may have other habits, individuals that their life may not be what we think it should look like. And we find here that Paul loves them all, but he doesn't necessarily agree with their lifestyles. And he confronts that. Why do you say that, Pastor? Well, do you remember there were two women fighting in the church earlier, and he calls them out in a public letter, and he says, you guys got to stop this. You know, this has to stop. He doesn't reject them. He doesn't kick them out of the church. He's greeting them now. I think that uh, when we look at others who have professed Jesus Christ, it's easy for us to make a distinction or it's easy for us to, uh, by nature, we gravitate towards people that are just like us. And so therefore, we kind of set the boundaries up. And here, I, I believe that Paul is saying you have to love the individual, but at the same time, we do not necessarily endorse the way they are living. And Christ came to break down the walls of division. 
That justifying grace that took place in my life did not happen overnight. I didn't wake up one morning as a teenager and say, oh, I'm justified. My sin is gone. No, I continued on in a life of sin. I, I can remember breaking some uh, construction equipment and hiding in the bushes while the police were chasing me. But yet I had given my heart to Jesus Christ a month before. And I still had this baggage. I see Paul saying, hey, let's welcome people into our fellowship who belong to Christ. And God has put them in with the communion of saints. Love them, even though we may despise their actions. And each day, every believer is described as a saint with a little s. Paul wants each person from the greatest to the least to receive the greetings at the close of his letter. And this is, to me, a great picture of unity. Not just Paul reaching out to them, but there are other believers that Paul says, hey, they also send their greetings too, and that they send their welcome. And Paul mentions specifically these believers from the palace. The reason why I told you is because some of them have persecuted these individuals that are living in Philippi. Let me revert back again to chapter 1, verses 12 through 13, where Paul says, now I want you to understand, brothers and sisters, as he writes to this church, that what has happened to me actually serves to advance the gospel. I'm in prison. I'm locked up. But I'm telling you guys, this is advancing the gospel. As a result, it has become clear through the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Jesus Christ. The prison of Paul was different from the rest of the world. Finally, Paul ends with a final word of grace. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. He says, and be with your spirit. Amen. He doesn't say adios amigos. He doesn't say, hey, see you later, alligator. He doesn't say uh, bye-bye. But he says, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Grace was not something that Paul explained the way I did with a bucket of water and a glass. He just knew that they had experienced this. And today, 20 centuries later, that same grace is available to us. So the take-home question today is how do we approach a God who loves us and wants the very best for us? Secondly, are we willing to accept the gift of grace that God is offering you? this moment. Charles Stanley tells a story that I want to share with you today. And this story, as I read it, 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 it seeks to answer the question, these two questions. He says that one of his more memorable experience in seminary was a professor that had a practical way of illustrating to his students the concept of grace the thing that we've talk, we talked about. It was an evangelism class, and in that class, he presented the final exam, and he cautioned the students. He said, you need to read the whole exam um, before you start, and uh, he also wrote that at the top of the exam. And so into the room, everybody was taking the exam, and um, as they were reading the test, as a class, it was obvious and it became unquestionably clear that each one of them had not studied nearly enough. 
It was one of those nightmare exams where you wonder where the questions were coming from. Students were saying, man, this is terrible. I, I don't even remember reading this stuff. I didn't study this. I, I guess I missed this. I was sleeping in class. So the further they read on in the exam, the worse that it got, to the point that there was audible groans in the room. People were saying, you're killing me. This is torture. And on the last page, when they returned to the last page, there was a note from the teacher, and it said, students, you have a choice. You can either complete this exam as given, or you can sign your name here on the bottom, and in doing so, you receive an A for this assignment. I wish I was in that class, because I was the guy who wouldn't read the directions, so, but So the, the class sat there stunned. They're, they're looking at this. Is this guy serious? You just sign this and you get an A. And then slowly the point dawns upon them. And one by one, they sign the test and they turn it in silently and they file out of the room. Charles Stanley said he couldn't wait to talk to his professor. He said, how many years have you been doing this? And what kind of experience have you had in doing so? And he, the professor went on and said, well, the reaction varies from student to student because some students begin to take this exam without reading it all the way through. That would be me. And um, they would sweat it out for the entire two hours of the class. They would be there till they reached the last page. And others, he said, would read the first two pages, they'd become so angry, so hacked off that they felt like, I cannot do this, and they'd storm out of the room without signing it, never realizing what was available to them at the end of the test. One fellow, he said, took the entire test after reading the entire document, including the note at the end, but he decides, I'm going to take this exam anyway. He didn't want any gifts. He didn't want anything free. He wanted to earn his grade in that class. He made a C plus when he could have easily had an A. And so this story illustrates people's reactions to God's solution to sin. The reaction that we may have as Paul addresses the subject of grace some people look at God's standards, as I did sitting on the steps across from a church. And knowing a young lady that went to church there and saying, you know, I can never be like her. I just cannot do it. I cannot have the moral and the ethical perfection. And some throw up their hands and surrender. Why even try? They tell themselves. I could never live up to this stuff. And then there's others like the student who read the test through. Even though he was aware of the offer at the end, he was unwilling to accept a free gift. Is that you today? Somebody who's viewing? Somebody that's in this room? Unwilling to simply receive God's gift of forgiveness? And they set about to rack up enough points so they can pass the exam. But God's grace truly is like the professor's offer. It may seem unbelievable, but 
we must accept it. And then like the stunned students who accepted the professor's offer, we too can discover, yes, God's grace truly is free. It is free, and all we have to do is accept it today. Do you understand this story? Is grace really given to those who really don't deserve grace? Yes. Could we ever imagine grace being given to those that God can love, but we can't? Are you done with grace? Do you have all the grace that you need? Do you want more grace today? I hope so. Because remember Paul's concluding remarks. The grace of Jesus Christ be with you. It continues on and on and on. It's a triumphal reminder to us that there's joy when we have Jesus Christ. And it's so easy for us to get caught up in the, in the problems of today and forget the whole bigger picture and that we have been blessed. We have been blessed so much by the experiences that we have had and we will continue to have with grace. So today I pray that Jesus Christ is in your heart. And we as Christians are in a restoration process. We are ambassadors of, of Jesus Christ. We bear his name. We spread the gospel. We write the injustice that's in this world. And we care for the sick. We care for the orphans. We care for the widows. And we care for the hurting. And this is the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ that he has shown us. And the grace that this world is looking for. Remember, our life is a mission field. We are his people, and he has made a home for us in heaven, as Paul has told us, that we're just here for a while. Paul has reminded us in this letter to the, book, uh, to the Philippians that this world is not all that there is, folks. Our hope, our future, our purpose, our destiny is not from our circumstances, but it's in God. A God who loved us. It's not because of something that we've done or we haven't done. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your wonderful grace. I thank you, Lord, that my testimony is one that could be multiplied hundreds of times in this building and by viewers everywhere. That from God, all blessings flow. That your grace has touched our hearts and life and will continue to do so. Help us, Lord, that we would understand that not everyone has to be exactly like us, and so many times it's hard for us to love the person that you love. And Lord, help us that we would be individuals that would model what your grace has done for us and remember your saving power. Thank you, God, for the continuous work that you are doing in each one of us. And for that, we give you praise and we thank you, Lord, with joy in our heart as we, we approach you and thank you for all that you've done. May the grace and the peace of God be with each one of us today. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.